Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we're welcoming Alan Smith to the show. Alan is Chief Information Officer at Baker Tilly. He has worked at Baker Tilly for 20 years, where he's responsible for all technology strategy and initiatives across the firm. Prior to Baker Tilly, Alan served as a senior IT executive for a number of corporations, startups, and hyper-growth firms. He is highly skilled in IT strategy, leadership, new technologies, process redesign, and project management. Alan holds a BA in finance from Michigan State University and an MS of science and communication technology from Northwestern University. Alan has also been selected as a finalist for the 2021 Chicago CIO of the Year Orbi Award. The Orbi recognizes CIOs for their outstanding leadership, management effectiveness, and business value created through technology innovation. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Alan, if you don't mind, please share with our listeners a little bit more about your role at Baker Tilly. Sure. So uh, I've been with the, as you mentioned, been with the organization for, I can't believe it's been 20 years, uh, but 20 years. And I oversee the what we call enterprise technology, which would be the IT organization for a billion dollar professional services accounting firm. We have offices domestically in the U.S. and then across 17 time zones. So it's a, it's a large large enterprise and a large, uh, large role and enjoy it thoroughly. So what are some of the differentiators? I, I, you know, from like an accounting space and standpoint, I understand, you know, quite a few, right. Over a billion dollars, as you mentioned, but what are some of the things that makes Baker Tilly different? Well, part of it is (laughs) bluntly, you know, we're not the world's largest CPA slash business consulting professional services organization. So we have great talent, great teams segmented along industries that can provide a level of service to our clients uh, that rivals those that you would get with the larger organizations, but provides a, a touch and a global reach. We're part of Baker Tilly International, which has firms and offices across 120 countries. And collectively, we're here in the US, we're the ninth largest firm when we take a look at the network, we're the seventh largest uh, across the globe. So talking about like the last 20 years working at Baker Tilly, conversations we had before, you know, you made comments and we had a discussion about, uh, we tend to overemphasize change management and underemphasize the ability of people to change. Uh, what are some of the things that you've seen over the last 20 years that have, have really, you know, from your vision of, of Baker Tilly, what's changed, what's grown? What's interesting is there's always, there's so many cliches on the subject, right? I, I, I think you could go to a Gartner event or you could go to, to some big event and you could stand up there and spew things like the only thing that likes, likes change is a wet baby. Ha 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 People laugh at that. <laughs> the reality is people are lazy. It's not that they, that they don't like change. It's that they just don't want to change. And maybe it's a little bit of my, uh, you could argue a Pollyannish view or, you know, the old, again, another cliche of, you know, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. If people are shown a better way of doing something and they agree that it's better, they'll do it. But in some cases, we want to make a really big deal of the change. We want to point it out and we want to celebrate the launch of the change and then work through the change and then celebrate the successful change at the end. You know, sometimes it's, 
it, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to overcomplicate it. Now, I'm not talking about your revamping and redoing your assembly line. I'm not talking about we're changing from driving automobiles to, to drive. I'm not talking about those changes. I'm talking about the change that we implement that, to be fair, we do 20, 30 times a year within an organization of upgrades and, and process modifications and everything else. And, you know, we, we get really upset when it doesn't go well or you know, people put up energy and resistance. And, and sometimes we say, well, it has to, we need better communication. I, I challenge that at times. I don't think going with, with, with a cliche or a little bit of, uh, of, of sarcasm. Yeah. If you've ever tried to talk to a four-year-old, you know, it doesn't work. So, you know, sometimes just talking about the, and, and, and trying to sell a change I'm not always convinced that that's necessarily the best approach. So, you, and when we talk about like that type of innovation, right? So it's more of a pervasive, you know, almost they don't even notice, right? Like you don't have to have a change management process for Facebook, right? They're not really walking users through that. Exactly. And it's a great example, right? We've talked about kind of where we are in our consumer life. And I think that our, our consumer life is, is overlapping our professional life completely. If you look at what Facebook looked like at its, if you want to go back to its inception at Harvard, feel free. But if you want to go back to kind of its public use, it looks nothing like it does today. And yet people adapt to it. People adapt to getting up in the morning and looking at their, I, I carry an iOS device. So I look at the iOS device and it says, I need to update 10 apps this morning. And what do you do? You update the app. Apple's not sending me an email, you know, saying up with people and here's, here's all the wonderful things that are going to come, come with this. I mean, it's in the notes. If you want to click on the notes of the, of the app that, that you're updating, you just update it. And maybe it's as simple as an icon change. Maybe they're adding additional capabilities and features to it. And so that, that gets into the whole notion of agile development or what people are calling agile development of do iterations rather than that waterfall approach of, you know, I know it's a windows fill in the blank year or, you know, which, which version of office are you on and you get one every two or three years or three or four years, depending on kind of the cycle, you're seeing these changes all the time. And so I think that if you want to keep pace in today's professional environment, you just have to move beyond the, we want to go through this whole communication protocol and everything else about the changes that we're making. People are going to figure it out and they're figuring it out in their personal lives. So why not? I, I'd argue it this way, Patrick, why not get the benefit of that? Because you're already getting the negative. Meaning people are going to come into the workplace and say, well, why can't I get this or that or something else? Or I can do this at home. Or what do you mean? I need to have storage limits or quotas on email. I can, you know, Google's giving me a zillion, you know, whatever their parlance, not mine, obviously. And they want and bluntly deserve that same type of experience that they're having in their personal lives at work. So if we're getting forced with that, well, then change management should come along for the ride to them. Let's take advantage of it. Curious. I love what you just said, by the way, but do you think that's based on the culture? Is that a Baker Tilly thing or is that something you learned over time? Is that something you learned from a previous manager? The, the approach of change. 
Well, not making it a big dog and pony show and just bringing people along as you're moving. Yeah, that's that's a heck of a good question, Shelly. I don't know. I mean, I've been in professional services almost exclusively or internet startups and that kind of thing. (laughs) I can tell you, Accountants don't want to change. Lawyers don't want to change. <laughs> Doctors don't want to change. Yeah, and, and, and guess what? No one wants to change. I think it's become more of a, if you're a child of the 80s like I am, so you went into your professional career in, in the 90s, let's say, it was different. I mean, think about it this way. I was reflecting with a close friend of mine recently, and it's, I rolled out the first email system at an organization. I rolled out the first local area network. I rolled out the first wide area network. I rolled out the internet when it came out. And and you can go Windows, going to Windows from a DOS-based system or character-based system. You can look at all those and think, oh my gosh, (laughs) we treated that like we were putting a person on the moon. And today, I contend especially in the last 18 months. And I I think we're going to go there here at at, at some point. You went from in-person physicality, everything else, to remote for many of us over a weekend. March 16th was a Monday. That a lot of organizations didn't miss a beat. Right. And when you reflect back on it, you realize we've talked about digital transformation. We've talked about transformation and it used to be, you know, we need to go to the cloud or CRM or e-commerce or, you know, uh, hosted solutions and then all of this. And I think sometimes as technologists, eh, business professionals as well, we don't give ourselves enough credit that the economy turned on its head in March of 2020. And a lot of the leaders in in technology were able to sustain work, grow in many cases. I understand the specific industries and segments were devastated, and I'm not ignoring that at all. But organizations were able to withstand that tumultuous period because you had already transformed. You just didn't call it that. And so, you know, the ability to support 4,000 or 5,000 users on a mobile, on, on, with laptops, mobile platform, VPN, cloud solutions, anything else, whatever you want to call it, I think as we look back today and as we go forward and look back, many, many organizations are going to realize, holy cow. So we've transitioned from the moonshot, it's a big deal, we're doing this big upgrade, to we are adding value and putting out new functionality. And because people are used to it probably post uh, internet, let's say, that yeah, for the last 10 or 15 years, you're used to having these incremental changes, or in some cases, large-scale changes, and it's okay. right? You, you mentioned Facebook earlier, Patrick. What's funny is the flight of young individuals, to whatever generation you want to moniker you want to put on it to get off of Facebook because their grandparents are on Facebook. Uh, It's, you know, and remember Facebook, it was MySpace before that. So it's, it's all part of a progression. I think. So I I think that it's a great point when you think about like that, right. Transformation, digital transformation, the digital transformation that happened in March, right. Which was foisted on us. And I do think a lot of people do not give enough credit 
to the systems that were in place to support that pre that because I do know a few well established organizations that their VPN was not prepared for that, right? And they didn't have that level of, of ability to support distributed users. But that adoption rate, do you see that having a like, at least in the like in the last 18 months? Are you seeing, you know, rates of adoption of other tech technologies going up? Absolutely. I I profess that the adoption rate today is bigger, I want to say, than... Like a magnitude more like, is it... Order is it of magnitude. Order of magnitude, okay. Um, bigger today than in my 30 plus years of being a technologist. It, it, it's not even a question as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's self-evident. Let's take organizations, for example, that, that whose VPN wasn't prepared to handle 100% remote. And, there, and there's a whole bunch of really good reasons for it. And they solved it quickly, I do want to say. Absolutely. Right? Like, Absolutely, they solved it quickly. It became a quick split. priority. Yeah, yeah, totally. Going back to my hypergrowth days, we used to joke that if the organization's not going to go out of business, if I don't do something, that's a great prioritization right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, am I going to go out of business? Yes, then do it. No, don't do it. That weekend leading in, so... Uh, appropriately enough, Friday the thirteenth was <laughs> the thirteenth of March was a was a Friday, if memory serves. That weekend, I have peers in my own industry who were in my industry were very close, and they were putting in boxes with blinking lights, and they were calling VPN company of your choice, and you know acquiring licenses and working twenty four hours, forty eight hours because they knew what was coming, and and say through that week of the sixteenth, you know, to the following week. There were a number of technology professionals that knew that they needed to scale, which is different than knowing that they need to implement. And that's the point I'm trying to make is you already had the tools in place. You just need, I don't want to, again, it's not just, you simply needed to respond to the scale. We were lucky, lucky. We had the good fortune, good foresight, good planning, right? The argument is you can only plan as well as you have foresight. We actually could support every single one of our 5,000 people remotely. So we didn't have to go and acquire more licenses or capacity or anything else. But we, we were in that position. Other organizations, again, okay, so I need 2,000 more licenses for Zoom, let's say, or I need 2,000 more licenses for my VPN. Um, there became supply chain issues, right? Uh, almost like it was, uh, you know, trying to get the, the latest, greatest toy at Christmas, uh, trying to find a monitor in the United States at that time, because everyone had to have, you know, a zillion monitors at home. So again, there's a difference between implementing and expanding. And I think what we saw in, in the pandemic response from a technologist perspective, by and large, was expanding. Now, if you didn't support a video platform, here's the irony of it, all right? A lot of organizations had not heard of Zoom prior to March, right? Maybe they heard of it. It was one of many. It was one of many. Right. Now, it's a verb. It's kind of like, I'll Google it. And not only has it been a technology that saved a lot of organizations and, and helped you stay close, well, now it's, well, I have Zoom fatigue, which is real. But think about it for a minute. 18 months, we went from, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, and we couldn't be anywhere without it, and it helped us stay close to our team members globally, domestically, in the city, whatever. 
to, oh my gosh, if I have to take another Zoom meeting, I'm going to, you know, kick my dog. That's really interesting. Yeah. Really? I, okay. I, okay. I guess maybe. I don't know. So one of the questions, you know, looking forward, right? You, you mentioned building not just resilient things, but things that are a little bit more organic, right? That they respond and they grow. One of the things that you shared before was that, you know, if you want to build something that lasts, right, you have to build it to change. What are some of the things that you're looking at right now with thinking, you know, in the next, yeah, I don't even want to say like five years because I think things are going to change, right? Like, yeah. what's in the five next... year plan worked for the Soviet Union, didn't it? Yeah, right. What does that two year, three year plan look like? What are the things that are on your mind that you think are going to be those critical elements for organizations to be successful? Right. Well, understanding that in many ways, just going through a plan is, is why you do it. This is my, my comment to, to others around building long term strategy. It's, well, if you know that it's, you're going to be wrong, why do it? And it's the, well, it's going through the process has the journey in this case is what matters, not the destination. So for me, I absolutely 100% believe the whole notion of if you want to build it, build it to last, you have to build it to change. We as technologists have been looking for modularity, you know, objective, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, object-based programming, or, you know, being able to cut and paste and use modules and plug them in and pull them out. We love using the metaphors or analogies of Lego blocks, et cetera. Well, one of the reasons that it continues to stick around after all these years is because it's still a good idea. And so the notion of more integrated, the notion of you build this platform or a system and then you realize you're getting success and so you pivot and you go a specific direction and you never realize that that's what you intended to do with the product in the first place it's called the second order a lot of times when you roll things out you say oh i'm going to get this benefit you do a cost benefit analysis or an roi and you have a business case and everything else and successful projects hit those goals truly successful projects though hit goals that you never even expected after the fact. It's like that second wave. People want to use that as an example. So for me, if you think that collaboration technology is going to take a backseat for the next three to five years, I think you're sorely mistaken. There are going to be real long-term changes that have undertaken, again, in the last 18 months, with respect to how people are going to work, where they're going to work, when they're going to work, how they're going to work. I, I view the pandemic, I, I use colorful language sometimes. I view it as a great excuse eliminator. Uh, people who know me know that that I would actually say something else that has a B and an S in it, but it is the great BS Bachelor eliminator. of science? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, there, there you go. How did you know? I, I, uh, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, genius. The fact of the matter is that these kinds of changes that we're seeing are not going away. Remote workforce, you're never going to hear that again. It's just workforce. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Right. So you're going to have that be your future. My CEO, and I, his name's Alan too. And so I, I don't want to sound like I'm talking in the third person, uh, <laughs> but Alan's view, I, I agree with completely. It's, you're going to view work differently. It's going to be about making connections. It's going to be about that, you know, building of relationships. 
And if you're going to do that in, in your office, do it in your office. If you're going to do it in a conference room, do it in a conference room. If you're going to do it at a coffee shop, do it at a coffee shop. If you're going to do it, you know, walking, both of your walking dogs, go walk your dogs. If you're going to do it over Zoom, do it over Zoom. But the fact of the matter is how you're making those connections and taking time to make those connections and technologies that are going to support those connections, those aren't going away. And so here's, here's an observation, totally be wrong. We talk in terms of wanting to stay connected and stay close and, you know, we're far apart from each other, at least, you know, we were for 18 months. Yet, think about how your interactions have gone with video. You can see people's backgrounds. You can see where they're, you know, what they hang on the wall. I mean, my mom, uh, who unfortunately passed away five or six years ago, was an artist. And so she would always ask about the artwork you'd put on a wall that would tell you something about a person. Well, here you are. If you're on video, you can see what people have in their background. You're actually closer. You're getting to know them on a different level than you were if you were in a conference room. What, what do we do when the dog barks in the background? We laugh. What do we do if, if a child walks into view? We wave. Whereas three years ago, I think, I think it was a BBC <laughs> reporter, oh, famously, yeah, right? right? Had their kid come in and you know, it, 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 it went viral. Well, that's every day now. Yeah. And so I think that while we're physically apart, in many ways, we're actually closer. And so technologies and everything else that are going to support collaboration, I know that's an overused word, but support collaboration, the ability to work anytime, anyplace, anywhere, truly work that way. They're not going anywhere. And so maybe it's not Zoom. Maybe you're on Zoom and you choose to go to another technology. Maybe you support Teams. Maybe you support Slack. Maybe you support something else or you know, yet to be designed piece of software coming out of Silicon Valley. Who knows? But you need to be able to pull out and put in. So unplug, plug, unplug, plug as quickly and effectively as possible. That's how you're going to build to last because you're not building the system itself. What you're building is that capability. And that business capability isn't going away. That's great. I love it. Uh, a big takeaway on that is uh, it's like that scene in social network. He's like, oh, change it from the Facebook to just Facebook, right? Take the the off. We can take remote off workforce right. now. Absolutely. Right? That, is, that is gone for here until until there's some kind of digital apocalypse. Well, there's now a new phrase that's entered in the vernacular, digital nomads. Mm -hmm. Digital nomads. Two years ago, what's a digital nomad? You know, is it, is it someone who's somewhere remote in the U.S. in a prairie and, you know, they don't get a signal? Yeah, I, I, you know, what's a digital nomad? And yet today we have individuals who are choosing to relocate. We have individuals who are choosing to vacation differently or, or work differently. A, a true story. I took some, I didn't take time off. It's just in the middle of winter. I went somewhere warm for several weeks with my wife. I, I worked and people who I'd come across like, oh, it's too bad that you have to work on your vacation. My response was, I'm not on vacation. I'm working. I just want to be here and not in sub-zero weather up in Wisconsin. <laughs> so I'm here in you know Florida, Arizona. And oh, I thought you were going to say Racine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> balmy, yeah. balmy, yeah. balmy yeah. Racine. Yeah. Homewood Flossmoor. You know, I'm south, south side of Chicago. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff. Uh, Shelly, what are the questions you have? Well, we always like to ask about mentors that you've had or people have helped you develop over your career. Absolutely. Uh, it's it, it's a long list. There's 
certainly for me, um, I, I would identify two or three individuals specifically, but one was the individual who really took me as call it my, I became a manager and he, he explained how that works. And this was in a professional services environment. He since retired, we, we still keep in contact, which is fantastic. Yeah. And his name's Pete Doerr. He was the head of technology for a law firm in Chicago called Hinshaw and Culberson, and then went on to several other law firms. But it was at Hinshaw that he and I were together. That three and a half years and was a fantastic mentor, allowed me to grow. And I would also say gave um, extremely candid professional development reviews. And so to me, candor means honesty with kindness. Honesty without kindness is brutality, and kindness without honesty is manipulation. So candor is kindness and, and honesty. And he, he was honest. And I, I still remember getting one in particular where it was the, you know, you made a mistake in planning this project. You left out a couple of key elements. It was only through the fact that you realized it and you jumped on it and fixed it is why no one experienced the issue. But the learning from that isn't do that at the last minute. The learning from that is next time you plug it in. And so that's one where, you know, if a user never experiences the issue, did you ever have a problem? And from Pete's perspective, it was, if you're looking to improve, the answer is yes. And so, you know, that was fantastic. And then at Baker Tilly, I've been blessed. I, I actually have a a new boss over the last uh, two years. He's fantastic. His name's Chuck. His predecessor, I worked for worked for him for about 14 years. And his predecessor, I worked for about four years. So each one of those were very, very different individuals. But then the firm was a different place. People cannot understand that I've been at the same place for 20 years. I can't understand I've been at the same place for 20 years. But my response is really, I've been with five different firms. They all happen to be called Baker Tilly. They, we just went through such a change in progression going from a, you know, several offices in Wisconsin and our, you know, big office outside the state was in Minneapolis to what we are today is, is monumental difference and change. So I've been able to afford the growth that I historically had to go outside to do. So, you know, I, I mentor is, I, I also serve as a mentor through Inspire CIO or Chicago CIO, you mentioned the Orby Award uh, earlier, where it, it's very important. And sometimes you need a mentor who isn't your direct supervisor. I just gave you a couple of examples in my case that were. Uh, but you need someone who will give you the candor. And so they'll give you the honesty with the kindness and tell you what you, you know, what you, <laughs> what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. Right. In a way that you can actually hear it. Yes. Yeah. I think it was George Bernard Shaw. There's my, there's my, you know, literary uh, British lit background, you know, kind of comment. I never took British lit. I just made that up. But, <laughs> but the, the comment was a lot of times people say that they hunger for the truth, yet they starve on it when it's served to them. And so in this case, it's, it is about how you present the information. And, and, you know, again, you don't have to change. You know, successful individuals are going to be successful in spite of whatever their their quirks are or anything else. I, I'm a great example of that. But if at least you know what they are 
and you can use your intelligence or emotional intelligence kind of get around it, then as some of my previous mentors said, that's, that's just rounding the edge. We're talking about rounding the edge. Well, Alan, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, really great stuff. Uh, always enjoy hearing people with a diverse background and experience. You've obviously accomplished quite a bit in your life and uh, a lot to learn. I recommend everybody, if you're interested, reach out, connect with Alan on LinkedIn. Uh, but again, like I said, Alan, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with us today. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much. We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.